We're coming this morning for our scripture reading to Jeremiah chapter 20, if we may. Jeremiah and the chapter 20. And we're going to commence reading at the opening verse of the chapter. And chapter 20 is really a follow-on from chapter 19. I suppose we should read the two chapters together, but it may take some time to do that. But we will just read from chapter 20. Chapter 20 really is the response and the reaction really to what has taken place in chapter 19. Chapter 19, the prophet has prophesied his judgments, or God's judgments upon the nation. And now we come to see the result of that prophecy in chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20 and the verse 1. Now Pasher the son of Immer, the priest, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then Pasher smote Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. And it came to pass on the morrow that Pasher brought forth Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then said Jeremiah unto him, The Lord hath not called thy name Pasher, but Magor, Misabit. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will make thee a terror to thyself and to all thy friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and thine eyes shall behold it. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive into Babylon, and shall slay them with the sword. Moreover, I will deliver all the strength of this city, and all the labors thereof, and all the precious things thereof, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah, will I give into the hand of their enemies, which shall spoil them, and take them, and carry them to Babylon. And thou, Pashur, and all that dwell in thine house shall go into captivity, and thou shalt come to Babylon, and there thou shalt die, and shalt be buried there, thou and all thy friends to whom thou hast prophesied lies. O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily, every one mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in mine heart, as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. For I heard the defaming of many, fear in every side. Report, say they, and we will report it. All my familiars watch for my halting, saying, Peradventure he will be enticed, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty terrible one. Therefore my persecutors shall stumble, they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, that triest the righteous, and seest the reins in the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them, 
For unto thee have I opened my cause. Sing unto the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. For he hath delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evildoers. Cursed be the day wherein I was born. Let not the day wherein my mother bare me be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, saying, A man-child is born unto thee, making him very glad. And let that man be as the cities which the Lord overthrew and repented not. And let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noontime, because he slew me not from the womb, or that my mother might have been my grave, and her womb to be always great with me. Wherefore came I forth out of the womb to see labor and sorrow that my day should be consumed with shame. Amen. We trust that the Lord will add this blessing to this reading of his precious word. The prophets of the Old Testament and the preachers of the New Testament at times are often seen as those who give encouragement to God's people. And of course, one of the functions of the Christian minister ought to be that of lifting up the hearts of God's people. The believer in Christ is under constant pressure from the temptations of Satan and the assaults of the world. And God's people do need to be encouraged. Now it can be the notion of some Christians that the minister is, who is seeking to encourage the people, that that minister is the one who is living on such a high plane that he himself requires no encouragement. He's always riding on the crest of the wave. Well, I can assure you that that is not the case. Such a notion is badly misplaced. You might consider David, King David, before he became king, 1 Samuel chapter 30. And there he found himself in a desperate predicament. He is greatly distressed because his people are at the point of stoning him to death. His wives and the wives of his men and his children have been taken captive by the Amalekites and they now turn on their leader. He's about to be stoned. Here's a prominent servant of the Lord needing assistance from outside his own resources. His friends are not going to encourage him. They're going to stone him. What is he to do? Well, first, Samuel chapter 30 verse 6 says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. The prophet Jeremiah in this chapter 20 is facing a big crisis and is also in need of help. This eminent prophet of God has come face to face with real trouble. What is he to do? Well, chapter 20 and verse 11, the first part of that verse, supplies the answer. In the midst of his trouble, Jeremiah cries out, But the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. So Jeremiah, with no one else beside him, no one else to encourage him, 
encourages himself. You see, the fact is, the servant of the Lord, no matter who he is, not only needs encouragement, but he can encourage himself. I want to get this now. We can encourage ourselves in the Lord. We'll come to see that what was suitable for Jeremiah is equally appropriate for ourselves. And we must all learn the art of self-encouragement. There are times when no one else will encourage you. In fact, they might do the very opposite. They may discourage you. And at that point in time, you need to be able to encourage yourself. So let's think about encouraging ourselves using this chapter and the words that are before us in verse 11 to <laughs> and apply them to our hearts. We will use these circumstances which Jeremiah found himself to show that we too can be lifted from that low place to the higher level. A number of things we want to consider. The first thing I want you to observe here the conflicts that Jeremiah encountered. He was in conflict. The conflicts of Jeremiah we can identify as being simply two. There are two. First of all, from without, from the enemy. And then we will come to see from within his own heart. Now Jeremiah had to overcome these by getting his eyes upon the one who was above. And he had to say, but the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Now as we examine these contentions of the prophet, we can be absolutely sure that these are the same battles that we as God's people have to face. This is a wonderful book. This book was written thousands of years ago. The book of Jeremiah was written thousands of years ago. And yet, the principles that are set out in this book are as applicable to me today as they were in the days of Jeremiah. Now let's think initially here of the conflict that Jeremiah had from without from the enemy. Now let's give some consideration to the events as they unfold chapter 19 and 20. The two chapters we have indicated are closely linked. Now in chapter 19, God has commissioned Jeremiah to preach to the people of Jerusalem. And I want to simply just pick out certain things in this chapter We'll read down the chapter and we'll discover that the message is one of solemn judgment and it's a very hard one to deliver. It's easy to bring a message of hope and blessing but whenever a preacher begins to preach against sin and expose sin, that's not an easy message to bring. Well, that's the sort of message that Jeremiah was bringing. We come to verse 2 of chapter 19. God says to Jeremiah, Go forth unto the valley of the son of so he tells Jeremiah, that's the place I want you to go with this message. Verse 4 and 5, Jeremiah begins to expose the sin of the people. Verse 4, because they have forsaken me, have estranged this place and have burnt incense in it 
unto other gods which neither they nor their fathers have known nor the kings of Judah and have filled the place with the blood of innocence. Verse 5 goes on to say how they had built high places to Baal. So the sins of the people were sins of idolatry. They had forsaken God. And then Jeremiah comes to highlight the judgment in verses 10 and 11. The judgment rather the verses 7 through to 9. Verse 7, I will make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem in this place and I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies and by the hands of them that seek their lives. And we can go down the three verses and we'll see how God's judgment was going to be poured out upon this people in various ways. And then Jeremiah has a sort of an object lesson for the people for in verse 10 and 11 he breaks a bottle in the sight of the people. He has this vessel and he smashes it before them. And of course it smashed the smithereens, smashed to pieces. And that really illustrates the fact that these people are going to be blown to the winds. Going to be blown apart. And the object lesson really would be imprinted upon their mind. Verse 14. The message is repeated in the temple. It's preached once. In the valley of the son of Hinnom. Now it's preached again. In the temple. At. Jerusalem. So here we have the background. To what we see. In chapter 20. Chapter 20 shows the reaction. To the preaching. Pashur. The son of the priest. Physically attacks the prophet. And puts him in the stocks. Verse 2 and 3. And there's Jeremiah stuck in these stocks, whether it's the same sort of stocks that we know of where the hands are placed in. Maybe the part of the body is placed in the stocks as well. We can't be absolutely sure, but he certainly was confined in a certain place and probably to public view in the gate of Benjamin. <clears throat> and he's there overnight, so he's there a long time. You can imagine the discomfort of all this. And then in verse 7, Jeremiah speaks of the constant derision he felt. He says, I'm daily derided. Verse 10 references me to the revenge that is aimed at Jeremiah. He speaks of those that want to wreak revenge upon him. And such is the frustration of Jeremiah. At one point in verse 9, he says, I'm not going to preach anymore. I've finished. My ministry's over. That's it all done. To add to the aggravation of the prophet's mind, was the fact that Pasher was a son of a priest and governor of the house of God. Now here's a man who ought to have been in line with Jeremiah's message. Here is a man who ought to have been in sympathy with what Jeremiah was saying. As a governor of the house of God, as a priest, he should have been in, the, in that position. But alas, he's the very opposite. And in verse 6, we discover that he's even speaking lies to the people. The very man that should be upholding the truth was seeking to pull it down. The very man that, was, that should have been standing by Jeremiah, seeking to encourage him, was against him. Now put all these things together. We have seen the judgment that was pronounced. We have seen the reaction of Pasture to that judgment. 
and the behavior of that man and how he has treated God's servant. How is God's servant going to handle this attack from without? Well, verse 11 tells us, but the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Now, if we think of these things, they have a lesson for us all as Christians, as believers. Here is something that the ministers of the gospel and believers in Christ have to face continually. What do we have to face? What do you have to face as you go to your work tomorrow morning? Well, you have to face the reproach and attacks of the world. And we maybe have to face the attacks of those that ought to be with us and are not with us. We all feel the reproach of an ungodly world when we seek to witness for Christ. We may not be physically attacked in that way that Jeremiah was. He was smitten in the face. Of course, in different countries at this very moment, people are been smitten, not merely on the face, but maybe been put to death for the fact that they belong to Christ. But you face some sort of reproach. It may be a sneer. It may be just a look from someone. It could be a caustic comment about what you say or what you believe. The fact is, we're all sensitive to these insults and attacks. I don't know your circumstances. I don't know where you've been in the past week. I don't know what has been said to you as you've maybe tried to speak a word for Christ. But it could be that something similar is happening to you, has happened to Jeremiah. And it's part of being a Christian in this world. We're living in a hostile environment in this world. Increasingly so. We think of what Paul said to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's part of our lot. We think again of Peter. 1 Peter 4.12 He says, Beloved, think it not. A strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened unto you. We are to expect these things. And how we may feel it if the person who denies what we believe is one who professes maybe to be a Christian or a minister of Christ. And there are ministers in this land who do not take their stand and denominations, they claim to be believers, claim to be Christians, and yet they don't take their stand on the fundamentals of the faith. They permit, they permit other ministers in the same church to be in fellowship with them, and all the time they're not even converted. And that is a very painful thing, a very strange thing. Sometimes the minister faces the criticism from his hearers. Well, how are we to cope with that? Well, we have to say, well, the Lord is with me as a mighty terrible one. How can we personally deal with the malice of an ungodly age? Well, verse 11, I think, furnishes us with the answer again. The Lord is with me as a mighty terrible one. Here's this attack from without. And Jeremiah encourages himself with this word. Now we have considered here the enemy from without. Now let's consider the other conflict that was troubling Jeremiah. It was from within, from his own heart. 
In many ways, this can be more difficult to deal with than that which is from without. For it's difficult to come to terms with myself. Oh, I can criticize the ungodly, can criticize the world because of what they're doing against me. But when I'm the problem, well, then that is a problem. Because we're not so easily and readily to admit I have a problem here in my life with my attitude. We never like to think we're the problem or our attitudes are wrong. But we can see here from Jeremiah, this armoured servant of the Lord, that he had a wrong feeling in his soul. He had a problem at this time. Granted, he was under tremendous pressure, under greater pressure than I have probably ever been in my life. And I probably would have done a lot worse than Jeremiah did here. But I come to verse 7. And here's Jeremiah, and he's saying, and we we'll have to be very careful about this statement. He's saying, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Now, in our English translation, that is our staggering statement. I have been, I have been deceived by the Lord. And of course, we know that that could not be right, because God does not deceive anyone. Those words could be <coughs> translated as they are in other places. That word deceived could be translated by the word persuaded. We could translate it like this. O Lord, thou hast persuaded me, and I was persuaded. Or, we could translate it by the word allure. You know, if you allure someone to do something, there's a, there's a sort of an, under, an underlying thing of deception there. O Lord, thou hast allured me, and I was allured. Now, I want to think about this for a moment because Jeremiah has a problem. I personally feel that the translation should be, O Lord, thou hast persuaded me, and I was persuaded. Persuaded to do what? Persuaded to take up the work of a prophet. You go to Jeremiah chapter 1, and we're not going to do that, but you go there and you'll discover that Jeremiah really didn't want to be a prophet. Jeremiah said when the Lord came to him, I'm but a child, I can't speak. But the Lord persuaded him. Persuaded him strongly that he must go and carry out this work. And now Jeremiah is saying, Lord, you persuaded me to do this. And I was persuaded as if the Lord was bringing him into something that was totally going to bring him to despair. That's the way Jeremiah feels it here. The Lord, is, Lord, you have brought me in here. You have brought me to this place. And it may be that he, he does feel deceived in some way in his heart. We would be ashamed to suggest that the Lord had deceived us. You wouldn't dare to say that. I wouldn't dare to say that. And yet Jeremiah uses these words. He certainly uses it to, to mean, at the very least, Lord, you've brought me into this place, this difficult place, and I came into this place. You've allured me in here. You've brought me into this place. And Jeremiah has said it. We come to verses 14 to 18, and a further example of Jeremiah's words, we read them together. Jeremiah's cursing the day that he was born. Cursing the day he was born. Now these words seem to be out of place. 
because they're really coming after Jeremiah declaring his confidence in God. If you read the chapter, many commentators reckon that these words were spoken when he was actually in the stocks in verse 2. And he has inserted them in this place to remind himself of how foolish he was in saying such things against the Lord. Maybe that's why they're in that position. But he had said the things nonetheless. He had cursed the very day that he was born. Now Jeremiah had not been allured or forced to do anything. You see, in chapter 119, God had said that there would be those who would fight against him. He said, Jeremiah, I'm calling you to this work. There are going to be those that will fight against you, that will turn against you. And the prophet here was under real pressure and his heart was uttering things completely out of character for a child of God. He was really dissatisfied with God's portion for him. He was saying that he would rather not be in this world to confront the nasty things of life. Now how is he going to rise above this matter? How is this matter to be handled? Here I am and I'm doubting God's call to me. Here I am and I'm even cursing the day that God let me be born in this world. How am I to deal with that? Well, I have to utter the words of verse 11. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. How many times, and I'm speaking about myself here, how many times in our difficulties have our hearts blamed the Lord for putting us where we are? I don't know your circumstances at this moment. We may not have used these words, but our feelings have displayed the same hard attitude. Why has the Lord let me suffer this? Why has the Lord brought me into this difficult place? I should not be here. I have done nothing to deserve this. Why am I being asked to carry this burden? And I don't know who you are. I'm a relative stranger, certainly to the secrets of your heart and to the workings in your life. I might know your face. I might know your name. But I don't know what's going on in your life and your heart and your mind at this moment in time. You could be going through a difficult time. You are carrying a burden. And it's maybe a heavy burden. What's the answer? Well, I need to say the Lord is with me. As a mighty, terrible one. God has us all placed where we are in order that we might prove him as the all-sufficient one. And we have seen also, of course, here how Jeremiah came to the point, <coughs> Lord, I'm not going to speak anymore for you. He wanted to disappear from the scene of public labor. And we all of the times just similar to that. I will cease speaking for the Lord. I, I will give up and no longer come to God's house. I cannot take the pressure anymore. Whenever you're down in that position, and down in that position you may have been or may be or will be, you need to get hold of these words. But the Lord is with me as a mighty terrible one. Here are the conflicts that Jeremiah encountered, terrible conflicts, similar conflicts we have to contend with from without as well as from within.
But then I want to come in the second place to consider here from these words the confidence which Jeremiah expressed. Now in reading the words of the prophet from verse 7 onwards we have to, we have to admit he is in a depressed and a defeated state of heart and mind. He could hardly be much lower. But all of a sudden all of a sudden Without warning, there's a complete change in his feeling and in his attitude. He leaves his mangled and his muddled thinking behind and he soars in an instant of time into the regions of heaven. Just like that. No warning. From there down low, right into the very heavenlies itself. Like David Psalm 61, you know that psalm? David there says, from the end of the earth, I will cry to thee when my heart is overwhelmed. He says, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now the words of our text express and demonstrate absolute confidence in God. I want to think about this confidence which Jeremiah expressed. This is a statement of real, solid faith. Jeremiah clearly fixes his eyes and heart upon the Lord. Up to this, he's been looking at himself. Now it is the Lord he contemplates. He fixes his mind upon Jehovah. And we can think initially here about the power of God. We just simply have to analyse the statement that is before us. But the Lord is with me as a mighty and terrible one. The word mighty. It's a definite attribute of the Lord. He refers first to Jehovah. And Jehovah, of course, really tells us the word Lord there is in capitals. It's Jehovah, the self-existent one, the all-sufficient one. And he says this one is mighty. That word is used in another place. You'll be familiar with this. Isaiah chapter 9, 6. It's used of Christ when there it says that Jesus Christ is wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, the mighty God. In Jeremiah 32, 18 we read, Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest thee Iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. <coughs> That's a wonderful statement by Jeremiah there. Jeremiah now has his heart set on the Lord Jesus Christ as the all-powerful one. The Lord is with me. The Lord, think about that. The Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. It is Jesus Christ that Jeremiah has his mind upon. We must see that. Later on in the book, three chapters down the line, Jeremiah chapter 23, he speaks of Jehovah there as Jehovah our righteousness. Oh, who's that? Who is that? That's Jesus Christ. Jeremiah has his mind fixed 
on the part of God as it's centered in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Almighty One, must be constantly in our focus as believers. I want you for a moment or two to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And you will know from this chapter where I pick this ver these verses that Paul is in prayer. Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll come to the verse 16. Paul says, Ceasing not to give thanks for you, making mention of you, in my prayers. So Paul is in prayer. He's in prayer. What is he praying about? Well, verse 17, that the God of our Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. <clears throat> and then we come to verse 18, and these are the things that Paul is praying about. This, these are the things that he wants the Ephesian Christians to have, and these are the things that God wants us to have. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So we need understanding, we need enlightenment, that ye may know. We need to be enlightened that we might know certain things. And here are the things that we need to know. What is the hope of his calling? What is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I want you to see that. What does God want us to have and to understand? That there's exceeding, that there's exceeding greatness of power available to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because the resurrection of the dead is mentioned here, and the resurrection is the capstone, the capstone of the gospel, of the work of Christ on the cross. It's proof of the might of Christ's work on the cross. Once this thought controls our thinking, our lives will take a turn for the better. When you start to think about the resurrection of Christ and all that that brings to you, here you are in a depressed state of mind, here you are with your troubles, and yet Paul tells us here he wants us to know, God wants us to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us that believe. He wants us to know that power. This power is mine, you see. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me as a mighty terrible one. This is mine. This might is mine because of what Christ is and what Christ has accomplished for me. There we have the power of God. Here's a statement of confidence. But then we have the presence of God. And it doesn't take much working out from the text to discover the words there. The Lord is with me. With me. He's beside me. This is one. This one who is mighty is beside me in the oppositions I face. What a truth what a truth Jeremiah had come to grasp. How often we can read the Bible and just forget about the words, the simple prepositions that we have here. The Lord is with me. It's great to have friends that are with you in trouble. But how great it is to have the Lord with you when you're in trouble. The presence of God in your life, it means more to me I can tell you, 
The presence of God means more to me in my life than anything else in this world. Anything else. If I haven't got the presence of God, I am a miserable soul. If God withdraws his presence, as sometimes he does, I feel everything's out of sync. The things are wrong. And God withdraws his presence from us at times, his conscious presence, in order that we might seek after him for it. It really lets us see what is in the depths of our heart. Well, here's the presence of God with Jeremiah, the power of God. This is a bold statement, yes. This is a confident statement. But I want you to notice in this confident statement, we can see the promise of God fulfilled to Jeremiah. This is important. The reason the prophet was able to speak in this way was because of the promise he had been given at the very beginning of his ministry. And this is important for any servant of God. If you're ever going to be called, if you are called into the work of God, make sure you have the promise of God to fall back upon. Because there will come times of difficulty and the only thing that you will have will be the promise of God to sustain you in that difficulty. Now in chapter 1 verse 8, I want you to listen to the words. God is calling Jeremiah to the ministry. And God says, chapter 1-8, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee. That's a promise. Chapter 1-19, the same chapter, They shall fight against thee, they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee. There's a twofold promise. What is he saying here in verse 11? But the Lord is with me. Why was he able to say that? Because God had promised that back at the beginning of his ministry. And that's what he was relying upon. That was the Old Testament. What about this New Testament age in which we live? Well, we can translate all this into New Testament terms. By considering what is said in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through to 20. The Lord Jesus has gathered with his disciples in Galilee. And it says there, Jesus came and spake unto them. Jesus came and spake unto them. This is the same person that Jeremiah is speaking about here in verse 11. The Lord is with me as a mighty terrible one. And Jehovah, Jesus, is coming to the disciples and he's saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That's a tremendous statement. Now that's not his power as the second person of the Trinity because he has that innate power anyway. This is power that has been given to Christ as a result of his dying on the cross and rising again from the dead. This was the reward that Christ had been given because of the victory of Calvary. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He says, go ye into all the world, or go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Here we have it translated into New Testament terms. Jeremiah 20, 11, the Lord is with me as a mighty terrible one. Matthew 28, 
All power is given unto me. Here's the mighty God coming to the disciples. And he says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Oh, this is a confident statement. And it's a statement we can be confident about ourselves because we belong to the Lord. I wonder, can you say that today? You're in this meeting. And again, I don't know every heart. But it could be there's one here and they're not converted to Christ. Well, I want to tell you the Lord is not with you. The Lord's not with you. The Lord's against you. And further than that, the Lord's wrath is abiding upon you. That's a, that's a horrendous statement. That's a terrible statement. The wrath of God abides on the person that believes not in Christ. That means simply this, that if you die in that state that you're in, you will go out to face the full orbed wrath of God to your soul. If you're not saved, the Lord is not with you. Every Christian in this meeting, they can truly say, the Lord is with me. But if you're not saved, you cannot say that. The Lord is against you. The Lord's hand is against you. And if you die in your sin, you'll go to a Christless hell forevermore. But God can be with you this day if you, by faith and repentance, come to Jesus Christ. Then the Lord will be with you. Then we have, the, we have the confidence that Jeremiah expressed here. But I want in the final place and very quickly to think about the conquest which Jeremiah expected. Now, we have read verse 11, the beginning of The Lord is with me as a mighty terrible one. Well, from the second part of verse 11 to verse 13, Jeremiah could only see the end of the enemy's hopes. Once he got the greatness of the Lord into his mind, once he got hold of that truth, there was only one result. And that was conquest, it was victory. We have the pronouncement at the end of verse 11. The verse describes the complete downfall of the ungodly. We'll read verse 11, the first part. It says, the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore, I don't miss out that word. Here's the conclusion. Therefore, it's because God is with me that God is going to destroy the wickedness in this world. God will punish sin in the ungodly in such a severe manner. Why? Because the Lord is with me. Here's the enemy against me. Well, God's going to destroy it. There's the pronouncement. We have the prayer then in verse 12. But O Lord of hosts that triest the righteous and seeth the reins in the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I opened my cause. We can follow this example. We can ask God to destroy Satan's kingdom. Oh, we want the unconverted to be saved. We want to plead for the unconverted to be saved. But we have to cry for the destruction of Satan's kingdom. We have to cry and preach against the darkness that is in this world. And that's what's spoken of here. Here's conquest. Here's victory for Jeremiah. Simply because the Lord is with him. He's going to carry out what he cries to him for. And then we have, of course, in verse 13, the praise. 
Sing unto the Lord and praise ye the Lord, for he hath delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evildoers. Here God's child rejoices in the victory. This is the spirit of heaven. Thousands of years before John wrote the book of Revelation, the prophet has got that spirit into his heart. Revelation 5, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. This is the victory that is yours as a child of God and you can praise God for it and one day you will praise him for all of eternity. Here's encouragement for each of us as we live for the Lord in this world. You can encourage yourself. Forget about the preacher. I'm here, I'm gone. But you can take these words for yourself and encourage yourself. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. I trust the Lord will bless these words to our hearts.